Welcome to the First Take podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about Pfizer's deal to in-license Biohaven's migraine therapy in markets outside the US, Xilab's ongoing efforts to expand its role as a go-to out-licensing partner for the Chinese drug market, and whether DAP-Produce-DAT, an investigational treatment for renal anemia, can be the blockbuster drug that GlaxoSmithKline has been looking for. Earlier this week, Pfizer agreed to pay $500 million up front for rights outside of the US to Biohaven Pharmaceuticals migraine therapy, Nurtec ODT. The potential value of the transaction could exceed $1.2 billion, with Biohaven also eligible to receive double-digit royalties on sales of the product in markets covered by the agreement. Now, Nurtec was initially approved in the US last year for the acute treatment of migraine, and it's recently had its label updated to include a preventative treatment of episodic migraine in adults. Michael, this seems like a pretty good deal for Biohaven, but investors were left a little bit nonplussed um, by the announcement, it seems. Yeah, I think that's an almost an understatement. Their, uh, their shares were off by, I think, 20%, uh, or at least as much as 20% on the day. I think they finished about down like 16%. But yeah, you know, this is um, it's an interesting reaction because Biohaven has this drug that is early in its launch phase. It's growing rapidly. It seems to have, you know, multi-billion dollar sort of sales potential baked in, uh, basically, at this point. And that's, and so they're, they're just doing it on their own in the U.S. And then they got this one of the you know the most uh, well-resourced um, partners in the industry, uh, who's now going to take over this drug outside of the U.S. And so you would think that that would be something that investors were, you know, kind of excited about, but not the case. And I think it really boils down to one thing: they were just hoping that Biohaven was going to get bought. You know, they were hoping they were just going to sell the company and they'd get that that premium from a from a trade sale, and that you know, clearly is not going to be the case anytime too soon, because um, you would think if Pfizer was going to buy them, they would have just bought them now. And the fact that they just took over rights to the drug almost everywhere outside of the U.S., you know, that that sort of makes the uh, the sale of Biohaven to somebody else not named Pfizer pretty unlikely, um, you would think. At least it sort of makes it less likely. So yeah, I think I think it basically boiled down to that. Investors wanted that short-term uh, return, and uh, now they are looking at um, sort of a, a longer horizon where they have this drug that's still growing, and now they have a well-heeled partner. So I think there's obviously reason to be um, optimistic about the future of Biohaven, but you know they're just not going to get that uh, bolus of, of cash. And do you think this is a, you know, a potential sort of try before you buy strategy that Pfizer's maybe looking looking at here? You know, they, they I guess if, if things go well in Europe in particular with the drug and things continue to go well in the US, then maybe they could come back in and acquire the company outright at a, at a later date, potentially. Yeah, for sure. That, that would make a lot of sense. Um, per, I, I was hoping to actually talk to the company, ask them why, you know, 
whether the discussion ever veered towards Pfizer buying them outright at this point. But uh, I think that they were taken aback a little bit by the uh, the investor reaction, and they they were not as forthcoming as as they normally are. Um, but yeah, that would make a lot of sense if uh, you know. Obviously, the U.S. market is very lucrative, and Pfizer is shall we say, a wash in cash. So maybe it's a little surprising they didn't buy them, but uh, obviously it could be a try before you buy situation. I suppose the other thing we should just know quickly is the amazing sort of job that Biohaven has done launching Nurtech ODT in the US, you know, during a period where we've seen a lot of other smaller biotech companies kind of bemoaning the impact of the pandemic on their new drug launches. You know, Biohaven seems to have really gone against the grain in this respect. And it seems like every time they announce sort of quarterly results and sales of the drug, they exceed analysts' expectations. So they've they've certainly done a fantastic job on that front. And I guess, you know, I guess that at least has probably played uh, some role in, in getting Pfizer interested. Earlier this week, Xylab gained exclusive development, manufacturing, and commercialization rights from Karuna to CAR-XT, an experimental treatment for schizophrenia in phase three testing. And it's gained those rights um, for development, manufacturing, and commercialization in greater China. Virginia, this is certainly not the first time that Xylab has gone down this route, um, but seems to be a sort of slightly different focus in terms of moving into the neurology space. That's right. So so Xilabs was really one of the first biotechs in China to build a big business around licensing innovative therapies for the China market. And this deal with Karuna really marks their move into neuroscience as a new area of focus for them. So that'll take them beyond their current pipeline in oncology and infectious disease and autoimmune disease. Um, and, and they've described CAR-XT as an anchor asset for their neuroscience portfolio. So that suggests that there is more deals to come. Uh, like you mentioned, they're in phase three for schizophrenia, and they are also starting a phase three trial next year to treat psychosis in patients with Alzheimer's disease. So I'll be curious what other types of neuroassets they bring into the fold here. And in terms of the deals that they've done recently, whether that's in, in 2021 or the, the last few years, what really has been Xylab's sort of main therapeutic focus? Most of the deals that they've done in recent years have been in cancer. So uh, I think they've done about eight or nine deals so far this year. And at least six of those are in the cancer space. And they actually signed a second deal this week with blueprint for to next generation EGFR inhibitors for lung cancer. So they're they're still in a role making deals in those other areas where they've focused in the past. GlaxoSmithKline said late last week that results from two pivotal phase three studies of its oral HIF pH inhibitor that produced that showed no increased risk of major adverse cardiovascular events in patients with anemia due to chronic kidney disease compared to standard treatments. And analysts have suggested that safety from side effects, such as heart attack or stroke, could be key in differentiating Daprodustat from competing drugs, which are under development for the same indication from companies such as AstraZeneca. Now, Michael, I know you've been sort of following the late stage development of this product quite closely and and following the development of of that product from AstraZeneca and Fibrogen as well. Do you think, I guess, has there there been enough sort of shown in the past week or so to suggest that 
Glaxo could have a product that's superior in terms of safety? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, so I talked to KOL about this and his take was that so far so good for Dapper Deustat and, and GSK. You know, the, the profile looks clean um, and, you know, the safety and efficacy basically look about what they were expecting, which is, you know, no better than ESAs, but also no worse. So, you know, the fact that the big sales pitch for this entire class is that they'd be basically a oral replacement for uh, ESAs. So, you know, the, the issues that have come up and basically um, slowed the progression of the first two um, agents from this class, we're talking about Roxadustat from Fibrogen and Akibia's Vatadustat. So, so far, it looks like um, this uh, agent from, from GSK has avoided those. And so it seems like um, it's, it's on the path to approval. It'll probably take a little while to get there with, uh, there's more phase three readouts coming. There's obviously the NDA and all that stuff. So I think uh, the, the long story short was um, it looks so far so good. And this could be in his estimation that the KOL I spoke with um, he thinks that this is going to be a, a big drug, and he thinks this class is still an important class, especially um, so when you talk about the, the CKB market and uh, the patients with anemia, you basically break it down into two groups. You say there, there's the people who are on dialysis, and then there's the people not on dialysis. So he thinks that this, an oral, uh, essentially an oral drug that does what ESAs do, and ESAs are obviously um, infusible, so he thinks that there'll be an important drug and a breakthrough essentially for the non-dialysis -di non people. So the people who don't have to go into a dialysis center however many times a week. Um, and, you know, it'll pro he thinks it'll take a little while to change prescribing habits. But, um, you know, he, he's, he's uh, this, this data, you know, gave him, uh, it didn't change anything in his mind. He's been a big believer. I've actually talked to this physician a few times over the years. And he admitted that his excitement for this class has been tempered over the last, you know, year or two where Vatadustat and Roxadustat both sort of ran into some unforeseen issues. But he still thinks that uh, it can be a big class and uh, an important breakthrough specifically for the non-dialysis patients. And so um, we will, you know, look forward to the, the NDA and the FDA's feelings on it because the FDA has been very clear that they are not very comfortable with ESAs, and therefore, since these drugs are being compared directly with ESAs, you know, they're going to, FDA is going to kind of see the same um, red flags with them. Um, so we'll see. So far, so good. I guess certainly from a European kind of pharma perspective as well, this product got to market and looked like it could be, you know, a practice changing therapy. It, you know, in my opinion, it would be a massive, a massive result for GlaxoSmithKline as well. You know, they've they've obviously sort of tried to rejig their research and development setup in recent years. They've hired some pretty impressive names from the industry. I've had, to be absolutely honest, I've had very little to show for it so far. And, and the other interesting thing about that Dustat is that it's kind of, it's come a little bit from nowhere. I think expectations were quite low, and maybe because those side effect issues have kind of clouded the future of the class. The fact that it's now come along quite quickly demonstrated 
to date at least that it looks like it might be safer. It could be an absolute, um, you know, an absolute win for GlaxoSmithKline just when it needs it. Honestly. I mean, when it was looking like it was going to be the third of the class to market, you know, obviously the the expectations are probably a bit lower, but now it could be first, it could be second, we'll see. Um, Akibia's Vatidustat is still under review at FDA. So Roxidustat was sort of soundly rejected this summer uh, because of, as you said, some very late safety issues that the company did not disclose until the week before the adcom. So obviously that did not uh, <laughs> that did not go well with FDA and, and their panel members. Vatidustat is still under review. We'll see how that goes. Uh, it has some issues. It did not hit the non-inferiority safety margin in the non-dialysis population. So that is sort of the, the red flag with that one. We'll see how that goes. And um, then there, the next one is Depreduce that, which, you know, was looking like third to market. Now it could be first, maybe second. We'll see. Um, but yeah, it's clearly the expectations for the drug are on the rise.